This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. This is Andrew Jobling. Welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. And what a wonderful conversation I've just had with Billy Ballard. Yes, he sounds like a rock star. It's his real name, Billy Ballard, who's a pretty cool young guy who's been through a lot. He's now an online coach. He now works with young people to help them navigate and negotiate challenges in life. And the reason he does that is because he's been through his own addiction challenges and years and years of addiction and rehab and some pretty dark places, but he's come through and he has turned into this incredible person that is doing very positive and powerful things in the lives of many, many people. So this is a wonderful conversation. I know you're going to love it. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Billy Ballard. Great to be here with rock star Billy Ballard. Hey, Billy, how are you, mate? Good, man. Thanks for having me, brother. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, mate. We were just saying before we started recording, your name, I had to ask you, is it your real name? Because it's yeah. almost like a stage name. Is it it's that rock star, Billy Ballard? Could be a professional singing. rap star or rock star. It doesn't matter well, where it goes with it. <laughs> you've got to sort of do a ballad, don't you? Yeah, so yeah. Billy Ballard's ballad. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon that could work pretty well, actually. Can you sing? Uh, no. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> not well, the best, that's for sure. Well, mate, you've got lots of talents, just singing is not one of them. Yeah, that's it. Thank you for time on this podcast. And I know you just said that you're a bit nervous because this is your first podcast. But do you know what? When we first met a few weeks ago and you were just telling me your story and I'm thinking, wow, what an inspiring story that people need to hear, what you've gone through personally, what you've become, who you've become, what you're doing now, how you're using that trauma or that adversity or those challenges that you went through in life to help other people. Good on you, mate. That takes yeah. courage. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And you're such a fresh-faced kid. People can't see you because they're listening to audio, but I'm looking to this little fresh face. Do you shave yet? Yes, mate. Yeah. I, when I try to grow a beard, it, um, yeah, it doesn't really work out for me. It kind of goes in patches. <laughs> I'm putting my hand up. Like you can see me right now. I currently haven't shaved for a few days, and this is about as good as it gets. You've got a pretty good uh, chiseled jaw there, though, Andrew. So you're doing well. well. Because I can't grow a beard, I need a chiseled jaw. If I could grow a beard, I'd cover it up, but no, I can't do that. Anyway, Billy, tell us, what are you doing now? And then in the second part of this podcast, we'll dig into your story. But tell yep. us, what are you doing now? What are you passionate about? What's inspiring you and what are you doing to help people? So two things. I work as a uh, full-time counsellor at a school, helping young people going through um, you know, different trauma, addiction, um, different types of abuse, and try to get them on the straight and narrow, how I would say it. And I also run my own online coaching business for men who want to not just get better physically, but also want to improve their mental health and their emotional well-being. So the course is very inclusive. And I think, you know, as for men these days, we kind of, you know, we kind of veer away from wanting to talk about what's going on for us and wanting to actually work through that shit. But I feel like without that, then we kind of get halted in the process and let, um, you know, what our parents said about us and how our parents lived then define our life. So I try to break that cycle. And I know the biggest thing for me when I went through my own shit was exercise. And that was probably the single most thing that got me out of it. So I use that as a catalyst. And then, um, yeah, the other stuff just kind of flows in perfectly with it. It is amazing, isn't it? How mm. when you can just get your body moving, get off the couch, get out of your head, 
I think living in our head is probably the most dangerous place to be, yeah. particularly when you're on your own and particularly when you're a man. Now, yes. I mean, women might argue that it's just as busy and dangerous in a female head, but I don't know about that. And all I know that in my head, gee, I talk a lot of shit. Yes. I tell myself a lot of lies. And for some reason, I try and convince myself that I'm not good enough Yeah, who I am. And I think for a lot of men, we have been brought up Maybe not so much now, but certainly you're this young, fresh-faced kid. You know, I've been around a few more decades than you. And growing up, you don't cry, don't show weakness, keep it to yourself. Men have got to be strong. And this whole stereotype has been shoved down a man's throat is keep it to yourself. And that is the most dangerous place to be. I would agree. Um, And I definitely can empathize with what you're saying about that voice in your head. It is one chatty bastard. And it's hard to (laughs) shut it up. I feel like as soon as you start kind of second guessing yourself, you start then wondering what are other people thinking? What purpose is this serving? Am I good enough? And all that shit starts creeping in. But I feel the best way to kind of get that out is to just take action. So usually when you're thinking about something, the hardest bit is actually just doing it. Once you do it, you realize that it's actually not that bad. And the things that you kind of don't want to do or don't want to express, they're the things that usually have the most profound impact on your life, I've noticed. 100%, mate. It's always way harder thinking about something than doing it. Yeah. The thought of the effort that's going to be taken or required is so much harder than just getting up and doing it. Yeah. So, mate, tell us a bit about, you mentioned for you, and again, we'll get back into your story shortly, but you said exercise was the thing that really helped you on your recovery. What was it about exercise that helped you? I reckon it was the feeling straight after you've done it. So straight after you've done it, you get this, you know, obviously the dopamine starts rushing through your brain and you start feeling better. You actually, I noticed your self-worth even becomes more because, you know, something was hard and training can be hard. Like, and I think that's the biggest thing that I got from it was kind of pushing myself to them limits and knowing that I could get through it. And then one session a day, that was enough to keep me going throughout that. It gave me enough kind of belief in myself and, you know, resilience and strength to realize that if I can get through this, I can get through whatever life throws at me. So Yeah. And life will throw stuff at every one of us every single day. I know for me, I've had a lot of anxiety in my life. Wake up in the morning. Not anymore, but used to wake up every morning with this horrible anxiety in the pit of my gut thinking, am I good enough? Can I do it? Do I want to do what I'm doing? Why aren't I where I should be? I should be further ahead in life. Wow, wow, wow. All that crap that we tell ourselves. But the one thing that I did consistently every single day was get up and exercise every single day. And I'd start with this negative chatter in my head and I'd start running. And when you're running or training, you're too stuffed to think about anything other than I've just (laughs) got to get through this session. So all of a sudden that negative voice stops and survival voice comes in or encouraging voices come on. You can do it. Keep going. Get it done. Get the job done. And then, as you said, when you're finished, it's like, wow, how good do I feel? And magically anxiety gone, yep. clarity there, optimism there. Now, I'm not saying you ignore anxiety and just try and cover it up with exercise, but isn't exercise a wonderful thing to do to just get some clarity in your life? Yeah, 100%. And I think when it comes to like anxiety, what I've kind of noticed was, and this is just my opinion, all it is is worrying or doubting about an event or experience that hasn't even happened yet. And I, and I know I'm corporate to this all the time. Like I got the same kind of feeling in my gut, but mine's when I go to bed, I start questioning everything I've done for that day. And you kind of realize that it's all kind of stemmed back from worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet. 
And when you can kind of register that, you're like, why am I beating myself up about something that hasn't even happened yet? Like when you think about all that, it's kind of crazy. And, Absolutely crazy. And when you touched on that kind of survival mechanism when you're running and it's like, I've just got to get through this, that kind of triggered something for me when I'm, because I've cold showers every morning just for that particular feeling. It's like, oh. I have to fight for my life to get through this. And then once you get through it, I think the same kind of, you know, it has obviously physiological benefits for you too, but the feeling of getting through that is like, it's very profound. And I think it's something that a lot of people should really do if they want to fight. I think that sounds like a great thing for you to do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm an advocate of a very beautiful, warm shower. Sorry. You can start warm and then right at the end, turn it off, chuck the cold on for 30 seconds and then bang, you're done. All right. I'll consider it. <laughs> no, that's awesome, mate. So I love what you've done. And obviously, you've come out of a pretty trying history of addiction and a whole range of stuff, which we will talk about. But you started mentoring young people. So, youth yep. mentor, really helping young people, as you mentioned earlier, just deal with their stuff and get out of their own way. And you've been a mental health practitioner working with all sorts of people, haven't you? And now you've started your own coaching business. Billy James coaching is James your middle name, is it? Yeah, that's my middle name. I should have went with Billy Ballard. I know you reckon it sounded Billy better. Billy Ballard, mate. That's a killer. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and so you're a personal trainer as well and, yeah. and teach people about, obviously, exercise is an important part of this journey, as is nutrition is an important yeah. part of the journey. But you're really focusing on people's brains, aren't you? Their minds. Yeah. What are they focusing on? Well, holistically, really, like nutrition, you know, strength training is a big thing that I like to incorporate and also the aerobic work just for heart health and benefits like that. But yeah, I'm really more establishing on their values and their vision. So, you know, we'll figure out what their vision is, you know, for three to five years and then reverse engineer that to 12-month goals, then break it down to three-month action plans, to daily habits. So you're constantly working towards that value because I feel like sometimes when you stop and just sit in the silence, it's a really good time to reflect on what are your actual values? You know, what are the things that you value? Because This is why a lot of people usually might feel depressed and not fulfilled is because they're not actually living value aligned. So when you actually put that down to the paper and ask yourself them hard questions, you can make a lot more impact on your own life, I found. So that's the core of the coaching that I got. That's awesome, mate. And isn't it interesting because there's so many different theories around goal setting and a goal achievement and running marathons and fitting into your bikini again and (laughs) all kinds of fitness goals that people aspire to yet they rarely stick. Yeah. You know, it's easy to hit a goal, a weight goal, a fitness goal, and then, okay, I've done that, and then you just spiral back to where you were before because yeah. it's not necessarily aligned with your values or you're not really clear on, okay, how do I want to live or who is this person clear on your values and identity, which I think is pretty critical. Mate, that sounds like awesome stuff we've got to chat about. So we're going to have a quick break, and then we're going to come back. I want to talk more about your journey, and then we'll dig more into this I like the values and the identity piece. I think it's very, very important. So we'll come back to this. We'll be back in a sec. How do you rate the most important things in your life? For many of us, long life and joy are high on the list. Important elements we can't buy, but the secret to attaining them is elusive and out of reach for many. Andrew Jobling has tackled these important questions in his book, The Wellness Puzzle, Living a Life of Joyful Longevity. Andrew solves the problem by teaching the seven pieces to optimal well-being. This is a must-read. Find out more about The Wellness Puzzle and Andrew's other books at andrewjobling.com.au. 
All right, mate, are you ready? Because you've probably, I don't know what it's like for you when you go back into your story and you talk about some of those challenging times. Does that trigger stuff for you or have you felt like you've gone past it now, you're through it and you're okay talking about it? Yeah, I wouldn't say it triggers me. In a way, kind of hearing it out loud, I reckon actually empowers me, kind of knowing the shit that I went through and that I got out the other end. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of need to hear that, that there is kind of hope at the end of the tunnel if you're going through that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I wouldn't say it triggers me at all. That's good, mate, because I'd hate to trigger you. I'd ask you the questions anyway, but yeah. it's good to know that it's not going to trigger you. I have to admit, I have brought people to tears on this podcast, not intentionally and not in a bad way, but when you talk about stuff that's deeply emotional and deeply personal, and a lot of times the tears are tears of joy because it's yeah. like, wow, look what I've done. Look what yeah. I've been through and look what I get to do with it now. Yeah. And I think before we even get into your story, for anyone that's going through any kind of trauma at the moment, that's not you. That doesn't define you. What it does is it strengthens you and it helps you find out who you are, what you're about, what your message is and how you can help people, which is absolutely what you've done. 100%. I could not agree with you more on that. It develops, you know, character and strength um, where a lot of people might have that bit more of a surface level about them. So it's definitely not something that you should let hold you back in any way, shape no. or form. So mate, tell us a bit about how it started, where you were, what happened when it spiraled and then what did you do to get yourself out? Yeah, cool, man. So I was on and off from about 14 years old. I was, you know, we started with drinking, then we kind of went to smoking weed. Now, when you say we, you just talk about mates? Just, yeah, just mates that I used to hang out with. And then, you know, it went from weed to, um, I think I turned 16. And then all of a sudden, you know, ice was introduced into the circle. And the first time I had it, I still remember that feeling. It just felt like I was king of the world. There was nothing that could stop me. There was nobody that could tell me I can't do anything. Just that overwhelming sense of, I don't know, I guess just empowerment, like I felt powerful. And I think that was one of the reasons why I kept doing it. Sorry, mate. And I'm going to just stop you every now and then. Yeah. Were you not feeling that way about yourself at that time? Tell us a bit about where you were personally and emotionally. Yeah. I guess um, being that young, you kind of don't know a whole lot about yourself, you know, like I was kind of just always that kid. Like I went to four different schools, got kicked out of a lot of schools. Um, I was kind of noted as the naughty child, diagnosed with ADHD when I was very young, never took medication before it because I didn't really believe in dealing with stuff that way. So I was kind of always different in a sense that I was the hyperactive, energetic, cheeky little shit. Like, and just thinking back on it, like that's who I was. Yeah. So you weren't lacking self-esteem. You didn't feel like you weren't good enough. It was more just this young, exuberant, ADHD, enhanced, <laughs> happy-go-lucky, yeah. happy lucky, try things, give it a go, yeah. push the boundaries, just exploring. Having yeah, adventures. yeah, definitely at that stage. You know, things obviously when they you know, started using a bit more, things then became bad. But yeah, looking back on it, you know, I didn't really have the worst upbringing. Um, you know, parents weren't together, but they still made do for what we had. You know, I wasn't neglected as a child or I wasn't abused. So I didn't really have a tough upbringing in that sense. It was more just, I craved attention and I was always kind of looking for that yeah. attention and connection with people. And yeah, I think that's where it all kind of stemmed from really. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Hmm. So the ice was giving you this amazing feeling of unstoppable, empowered, can do anything. Yep. Yeah. I can imagine it's a feeling you'd want to keep getting. Do you know what's really funny about this whole thing is that 
what they prescribe people with ADHD is amphetamine based. And the main ingredient for ice is amphetamines. So the one thing that's supposed to cure these, you know, people with that kind of, I guess we can say illness in a way was the one thing that absolutely destroyed me. Isn't that so, interesting? Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. And I think though, that's why people get addicted to like Ritalin and stuff like that. It's because it makes you feel calm, but powerful. Like that's what it made me feel because I had ADHD. So yeah. That is a problem with any medication, isn't it? It just gives you this artificial feeling of peace or pain-free. And rather than do the work to actually get that place yourself by feeling good within yourself, it's easier just to take a tablet or take some kind of medication. Yeah, definitely. Yep. That's why people get addicted to them. <laughs> yeah. So you kept going yeah. and then that became an addiction, clearly. Yeah, yeah. So the years went on, you know, I burned a lot of bridges when I was going through that addiction. It went on pretty bad that you know, I lost a lot of good mates, you know, some in a car crash and that kind of even hit me even more. And then, cause then I was kind of like bouncing from school to school still at that time. And everywhere I started was like a new fresh start, but I would always end up going back. I'd always end up going back to it. I always end up going back and chasing it. And what really kind of got me to the point where I was like, I need to do something about this. Um, I started losing respect from my family, you know, like I started losing respect from them. I started going out and staying up for four nights at a time, you know, no sleeping, no How old were you at that stage? 17, 18. So no sleeping, no eating, fully deprivated, you know, had shred every bit of muscle I had on me, was literally just living in the moment. And I actually ended up acquiring drug-induced psychosis. So I started, you know, thinking and hearing people and that that weren't there, which then really threw me off. I started doing shit that I would never do. Some of the stuff I got told that I'd done, I was like looking back and thinking, oh my God, like that is not me. And, but that's what it become. Like I literally lost sense of who I was. Um, and I became this horrible, horrible person to be around. And yeah, it just kept escalating and escalating. And to the point I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And I think the biggest thing for me was when I realized, and this what, is what really hit home was when the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of actually going through that change. And that's an old saying. And yeah, when I started saying. actually, yeah. And when I started coming to terms with that, I was like, change is going to be really, really hard, but what's the alternative? Like dead in jail. So I just had to knuckle down and there was no looking back after that. I was like, this is it. This is all I can do. And yeah. That's awesome, mate. Okay. So let me just go back to one thing you said. You said you lost respect for your family. Family lost respect for me, sorry. (laughs) Oh, your family lost respect for you. Okay. All right, good. I just wanted to clear that one. Yeah, I guess that's understandable too. And I love that, mate. That's such a good saying, isn't it? When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you will change. Or the other way of saying it is you'll never change something that you can tolerate. If you're tolerating it, you can't change it. So you've got to get it to the point. Obviously, you got to that point where it was intolerable to live the way you were living. Yeah. What do you do, mate, when you're psychotic, when you're half starved, when you're obviously going through all sorts of mental and emotional stuff and now you're trying to come off a pretty heavy addiction? Where did you go? What did you do as a first step? So just before I kind of got to that step, I think I had to make an internal step in my mind. And that was when I moved to Queensland when I was 20 and thought, yep, change of scenery. And during that time, straight back on the drugs, ended up stealing a car, ended up with a broken nose and walking on the streets of Queensland with no phone, no wallet, no shoes, 
been up for about five days, had to go and stay in a hostel where then they would call my family and let them know what's happened. So that time coming back on the plane with two black eyes, broken nose, no money, no phone, it hit me, hit me really, really hard. It was like, what are you doing? So the first step for me was just acknowledging that that's enough. Like, you know, look, look at what you've done. Look at who you are becoming. That's enough. And funny thing was, I met somebody when I was going through a lot and they go to me, if you want help, you know, reach out to this rehabilitation. They help change people's lives. I didn't think too much of it at the time, but I got a number. And then when I had that kind of click, I just called her. And then, you know, I was in that rehab within, I think, a one week. You know, dad drove me there and yeah. So you came back to Melbourne? Yeah, came back to Melbourne. And then before I wanted to think things to escalate even further, I thought, nah, it's time to go. So yeah. So picking up that phone, that was the key step, wasn't it? Making yep. that phone call. And then everything yep. sounds like it all happened very quickly after that. Quickly, but definitely um, wasn't slowly. easy. Quickly, was but slowly. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So you went into rehab and went through the process. How long was that journey? So the rehab was two years. And in that rehab, you know, I couldn't swear, couldn't talk to women, had to read the Bible, you know, no smoking, not really having time to be able to see your family. If you, you know, done well during the week and did everything that you were supposed to, you might be able to have weekend access after the first kind of three months, then you can start seeing your family. So that was tough. I was working for free every day. I was doing courses, um, learning, like being confronted by, and the majority of blokes that were in there were just out of jail. So I was like this young little 21-year-old thinking I knew everything about the world. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, being confronted by some of this stuff. And one of the big things was we all used to sit around in a group and we had to get asked, all right, Billy, what I see happening is you've got a manipulation trait or whatever that trait was. And instead of deflecting that, you had to sit there in the uncomfortability, own it, and then everybody in the group would pick that apart and tell you how to kind of work on that. And it was like one of the most confronting things ever. Yeah. And we used to get like consequences. So if you swore, there was a 250 rules you had to follow. So if you swore, if you left a plate out, if you didn't say thank you to people after they'd given you a ticket, you got an hour consequence, which was an hour work you had to do in the only free time you have, which was on a Sunday for four hours after church. So every week I'd be having 25 plus. Because I was in there, I was like, no, nah, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to swear and I'm going to carry on. So that's probably why I was in there for so long. You learned um, the hard way. Learned the really, really hard way. But I wouldn't take any of it back. Like I learned so much about myself now. And now I'm in a position where I can help other people going through that. You know, sort of even like my mates that are just going through a bit of troubles, you know, mentally and having a bit of an emotional breakdown or something. I can kind of talk them out of it because, yeah, I was faced with so much at such a young age. And it did. It shaped the person I am today. And, was one of the only people that graduated that program. So really? Yeah, wow, yeah. good on you, mate. There wasn't many so, people that graduated that. What, so okay. So tell me what changed most for you in that journey? I think just understanding myself. You know what I mean? Like understanding what triggers me, understanding what makes me want to use, and then understanding, you know, things that I can put in place to stop that. And I think once I did that, I started developing a respect for myself. And that's when I kind of realized that in my opinion, self-respect is keeping your word to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like when I started doing that, I started doing all this shit I had to do. I, you know, was training every day while I was in there and all this sort of stuff. I was keeping a word to myself constantly over and over again, every single day, day in, day out. I just started to develop a lot of respect for myself. And the more respect I had for myself, the more there was no looking back. 
Mm. And once I was in there, I was locked in. I was like, I am going to do whatever it takes to get through this. And still to this day, that was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my life. Pushed every single boundary and limiting belief in my mind. And I pushed and got through it all. So yeah, it was a very, very kind of rewarding, challenging, traumatic, but you know, very grateful that I had the opportunity to experience that. Yeah, mate. And it's such a powerful, powerful lesson there, isn't it? When you make a decision, obviously something clicked in your head at a certain point where you were rebelling against the system and doing your swearing. And obviously there's always consequences of our actions, maybe not as dramatic or as immediate as you are experiencing, but for every one of us, there's always consequences of our choices. Yep. And I think that's what they were trying to bring home. The point was they make a really big consequence just for teaching you, you know, that there's a consequence for everything that you do. So they really honed in on it. But like you're saying, it transfers over into life. It does. There's always consequences. But when you get to that point where you make a decision, this is it for me. I'm getting through this. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to be a better person because of this. It doesn't make the journey any easier. But what it does is it makes you more resilient and more determined and more grateful for that opportunity. Like, isn't it interesting when you're going through something that's really painful with the right mindset, you can be grateful for it because that self-respect is growing. And you're thinking, look at me go, I can deal with this. I can handle this. I'm good at this. Bring it on. I'm grateful for this. And that moment when you can shift that mindset into self-respect and into gratitude, you can pretty much get through anything. Well, definitely. And that's why it's been interchangeable in my um, you know, business even. like I'm starting obviously an online business. And as a lot of people know, the market is saturated when it comes to fitness coaches and trying to get my message across and, you know, that sort of stuff can be difficult, but same mindset. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let down my clients. I'm not going to let down myself. I'm just going to keep going until it's done. There is no stop. So it's kind of that same mentality when I was in there. It's like, nah, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to do it. So yeah, it's been very interchangeable into- Well, into it life. is. When you get through something like that, pretty much you can do anything. So yeah. let's have a quick break and come no back and we're going to talk more about some ideas and thoughts and actions that people can maybe take and start implementing. But Sounds mate, good. thank you so much for sharing. No worries, man. Thank you. What's going on, men? Billy Ballard here, founder of Billy James Coaching and head coach at Aussie Bloke Strength Society. Now, I wanted to create Aussie Bloke Strength Society because I wanted to offer more than just a program that gets you guys amazing results. So you'll have a 16-week strength and conditioning program attached with a meal plan. And then we go through pillars, teaching you about your starting point, building out your vision, your values. So by the time you're done with the program, you don't only look the best you ever have, but you know how to sustain that and you know how to create your own meal plan and training program by the time you're done. If you want more information about this, head over to www.aussieblokestrengthsociety.com.au. There's a link in there where you can book a call with me. Chat to you soon, mate. I apologize. You just said during the break, that was a bit tough for you. You've never really shared that openly on a public forum. So yeah, I've got a way of getting people to do that. Apologies for that. <laughs> I know he's uh, manipulating me over here, guys. I am. I am. <laughs> nah, it was good, man. Like, yeah, it was confronting, but that's life. So onwards and upwards. Well, I think, and this is for everyone, nothing's going to move until you can be honest and openly honest about your journey, where you've been, what you've done, because there's none of us. Not one single person that's upright looking down the grass that hasn't had a past and hasn't done something or said something that they maybe wish they hadn't have done or said. 100%. All of us, all mm. of us. And I think when you can just be honest about it and go, well, yeah, I'm pretty flawed and I've got a past and I've done some stuff that I wish I hadn't done, but I've done it. 
See, the thing is now you've learned from it and now you're using it. So let's shift now, mate, out of the mud and the muck and let's shift into the, the stuff you're doing. First thing you were working with youth. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Yeah, so still am working with youth. So when I got out of the rehab, you know, I studied and then became a youth worker and got chucked straight in the deep end and worked with young people who live in out-of-home care. So it's called Resi Care. So these are kids whose mum and dads, you know, either can't look after them in some way or another, or um, they're in jail or, you know, they're on drugs or whatever it is, they get put into this house. So there's like four young people that put in this house and your role in that house is to kind of mentor them, you know, be that support for them and teach them life skills and, you know, really get to know them on that level and allow them that space to kind of just talk and vent and be a kid. So yeah, that's where I went first. And I was there for three years working with some pretty crazy kids. I had an angle grinder put to my neck. I had people punch me in the back of the head. I had knives pulled on me, you know, nearly on the daily basis. Wow. Um, Tell us how you dealt with a knife being pulled on you. I just, to be honest, I don't know if I should have acted like this, but I walked up to him with my hands open and said, do it. <laughs> and I don't know why I said that in the time, but I think my philosophy behind it was, I'm not going to let you intimidate me. And I think you need to learn this lesson as well for a young kid. They're going to go out and try to pull the knife on people. There might be a, a really bad person going to turn around and do something really bad to you. So I just went with my gut instincts. And as soon as I used that, the kids respected me. I didn't get the kids ever trying to do anything after that. They actually loved me like an older brother. And yeah, so it was, it's very unconventional, but I guess it got me kind of, yeah, it got me through it. it interesting, mate. That's interesting yeah. that the mindset or the, the psychology around that, I guess it was so disarming for them. Well, what you effectively did was you put your life in their hands in yeah. that moment. So yeah. they had the choice. They had control to end your life or preserve your life. Yeah. And then after it, I just explained to them, like, you know, the reason I did that was because if you do that to somebody else on the street, then you could get beat up really badly or you could die. And then, you know, obviously talk through them about like, I know you're not angry at me, you're angry at something, let's talk. So I would always follow up every time I'd confront the young people, I'd always follow up and be that emotional support and let them know like, you know, I'm going to confront you on things sometimes. If I feel like there's a behavior that I need to confront, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let you just have that behavior because if I don't teach you and show you this sort of stuff, then who's gonna? And then I'll go through the, you know, after that, the emotional stuff about why they were acting like that and, you know, implement some strategies and all that sort of thing to help them cope through it all. So. Good on you, mate. What are some of those strategies? Look, the biggest one, and it seems so basic, but it's breathing. Like, you know what I mean? If you're in a position like that, the power of five to 10 deep nasal breaths outside belly expanding resets your nervous system. And then you can take a think, you know, and then I'd take them for a walk. I'd actually exercise. I'd put the boxing mitts up with them. I'd let them have a hit a boxing pad sometimes. Yeah, so it'd be just like all that sort of stuff. But breathing was the biggest one. And I think to this day, I still use that. Like when I know that my heart race is increasing for whatever reason, just take a few breaths. Like it's so simple, but it's There's a lot so... of things that will trigger us, isn't there? All day, yeah. every day. And our automatic response is to snap back or react rather than stop, take some deep breaths and just mm. settle and let out parasympathetic nervous system take over. Yeah, that's it. You're onto it, mate, the parasympathetic nervous system. <laughs> I'm onto it, mate. I'm onto it. Hey, do you know why? Because I get to talk to really good people on podcasts and I learn so much. So yeah. I really do this podcast for me and anyone else that yeah. listens, well, that's just a bonus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's good. So I guess from there, then I, I moved on to working as a case manager, helping kids in and out of school, and then transitioned to now working in a high school for kids that are disengaged and need a little bit more support. So I'm still currently doing that. I don't know how I fit in what I do in my life, but 
you know, I've got two kids, work full time, plus I run my own online business. So is that uh, all? Yeah, that's all. It's not much. Okay. <laughs> so, mate, while I've only got a little bit of time left, I want yep. to come back to the stuff we spoke right at the start about. You talked about helping people, I guess, redefine and identify values. Tell us how that works. Tell us how you would work with someone and how that really helps them move forward in life. Yeah. It's helped you move forward in life. Yeah, definitely. So I've got a course that runs in the background of my actual program. And in that course, I'm going through in depth about, you know, what your values are, what your vision is. You know, there's some workbooks attached. There's, you know, things to do with creating your vision board, you know, then reverse engineering that with your goals and then unconsciously putting in daily habits for these, the men that I work with. So obviously, you know, it's training, it's eating right, but then it's like them little daily habits about you wake up in the morning and you snooze your alarm. Remember why, remember why you're doing this. You know what I mean? So to be them little reminders, then they constantly are now having to go back and remember that based on their values workbook that they did through my program, their values and their vision. So it's constantly being ingrained on a daily basis through their daily habits, which is constantly moving them forward towards that vision, whatever that vision is. And then that's just, you know, overflowing in other areas of their life. They want to train now. They don't have to get up and go to the gym. They don't have to eat well. They want to do that because now that they kind of know what their values are and, you know, where they want to go in life. So yeah, yeah, powerful, isn't it? And it's also connects nicely into identity, isn't it? Like when you can identify yourself as a healthy, energized, vibrant, inspiring person, and if my value is integrity, then the alarm goes off, I'm going to get up. Yeah. The snooze button's not an option anymore. Yeah. A person of integrity does not set the alarm and then hit snooze. Yeah, A that's person it. that values health and well-being and is an active, inspiring example to others does not hit snooze and go back to sleep. They yeah. get up. And it's so true, mate. Values and identity is so, so, so important. It's massive. And I think especially for guys, like, you know, my clientele is Aussie blokes. Like, that's who I train, Aussie blokes. And it's because we've got that kind of mentality that um, you're kind of weak when you start thinking like this. That's how I feel. Like, I know people don't say it outwardly, but if you start tapping into this sort of stuff and people say that's fluff or, you know, but at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to accomplish great things in your life because you decided to take, you know, whatever it was, a week to be able to get your value straight and then just be relentless and show up every day and put in an effort. Like, I feel like nowadays people kind of, it's it's kind of cool not to try. You know what I mean? Like, since when did it become cool not to try? As soon as people start stepping outside of the box and living in their purpose and their passion, people try to bring them down and pull them down constantly. Yeah. So. I mean, that's all about association. Now, if you're associating with people that tell you that's weak and you're soft and that not trying is cool, then you're absolutely with the wrong crowd of people. Yeah. That you want to be with people that identify values and live a life aligned to those values and want to make a difference and want to do more and be more and have more and give more. Yeah. They're the people you want to find. So this is a call out for every single person listening. Find the right people to associate with because you will become like the people you associate with. Your story is absolutely about that. Like you fell into drugs at a young age because of the people you associated with. Yeah. And, you know, you never know what somebody else is going through too. So just always be mindful when you're being angry or decide to call somebody something or say something to somebody, you know, I have no idea what that person's kind of gone through. So yeah, just keep that in the back of your head as well. You know, we're all on a different journey and just need to spread the love really, don't we? Spread the spread love. The love. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love it. Spread the love. Mate, how do people find you, reach out to you, talk to you, engage you? How do they get to you? So you can either look up, you know, Billy James Coaching on Instagram, YouTube, or my Facebook business page. 
You can also, if you prefer, send me an email. It's just billyjames.coaching at gmail.com. If you want to jump on a call, we can jump on a call, see what your goals are and see if there's any way that I can help. Awesome, mate. It's been a cool conversation. You're a bit nervous at the start. How are you feeling now? Yeah, look, still a little bit nervous, but you know, it's um, it's good to kind of get through it. So, yeah, mate, you've done beautifully. You've been open, honest, raw, and you've actually shared some stuff which I believe is going to make a difference in every life that's listening to this and that again chooses to apply it. So, mate, thank you so much for your time. No worries at all. Thank you, man. Wasn't that an incredible conversation with Billy? It really was. He's just so real and authentic and. It was challenging for him. That was his first podcast, the first time he shared some of that stuff on a public platform. So understandably, that was a bit nerve-wracking for him, but didn't he do a wonderful job? And didn't he offer some wonderful solutions, simple solutions to deal with any emotional or mental issues that you might be going through? Breathing, for example. Wow, what a simple thing we can all do. What about exercise? What a simple thing we can all do. How about identifying and living a values-driven life is something we can all do. So if you want to find out more, if you want to get some guidance from Billy, you can do that. And I certainly would recommend it. The best way to find him is on Instagram. So if you go to Instagram and you type in Billy James Coaching, you'll be able to find him, send him a message and connect with him there. Thanks for being with me this week. Another wonderful week it was for sure. These podcasts, as I said to Billy, the reason I do them is for me and you get to listen. And I hope you got some incredible value from that conversation with Billy Ballard. I hope you will share that conversation. And I absolutely hope you'll be back with me again next week. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. 